In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I take this morning as my text a couple of verses of the passage which has been read to us out of 2 Corinthians. All this has been the work of God. He's reconciled himself to us through Christ and has enlisted us in this ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer holding people's misdeeds against them, and has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Well, I may have mentioned to you before that my family has insisted that whilst I'm still around and uh, compass mentis enough to do so, I write my chronicles. That is some sort of account of uh, what I've been up to in my life so that any gems are not lost to future generations. Well, I suspect that they're going to be bored to tears. <laughs> But I found it an interesting and somewhat uh, nostalgic experience, and it has triggered many memories and some thoughts which uh, uh, I thought might be worth sharing uh, in the light of more topical events. In the 1980s, the era of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, the miners' strike, and the discovery of the hole in the ozone layer, I was the moderator of the Thames North Synod of the URC. It covered not only the leafy suburbs and home counties, but a large tract of London's inner city, a fascinating region which occupied a significant amount of my time and energy during those 12 years. In 1983, I was privileged to be allowed to take a three months sabbatical, the first moderator I understand ever to have dared to do so. Um, my task in that three months was to research some aspects of the church's mission and ministry in those areas of acute urban deprivation caused by uh, unemployment, inadequate housing, racial intolerance, and a general lack of uh, tender, loving care on the part of society as a whole. A part of that process, I spent uh, a spell with the Urban Theology unit in Sheffield. In 1969, a, a Methodist minister, the Reverend Dr. John Vincent, uh, inspired by his experience of base communities in South America and in New York, set out to equip and encourage a new generation in the uh, British uh, urban church. Amongst many other things, 
His small ecumenical team in Sheffield looked after eight small congregations in one of the toughest parts of downtown Sheffield. And that included two small URCs, one of which, St. James's, uh, I attended on the weekend I was there. Well, the building was uh, traditional enough URC. Uh, I guess there were probably about 25, 30 people <coughs> present, a group of older, mainly white ladies, and then a much more mixed group from a varied uh, age and <coughs> cultural and ethnic background. The service was informal. It was led by a black Samoan minister, and we gathered in a sort of friendly semicircle, with part of the time spent in, in small groups studying the Bible passages for the day. Now, that's the background of a story I want to tell you. Subsequently, I met a young man whose father, and I had known, had been the Presbyterian minister of St. James's many years previously. Well, this young man and his wife uh, had decided to visit St. James, as I had when, I was in, when they were in the city. It was the weekend of their Christmas fair on which they depended to make ends meet. It had been a cold, wet day, and they were worried. Over the hill were the acres of derelict steelworks, and not far away, the strike-bound pits of South Yorkshire. The previous year, they had raised 300 pounds, but had little hope of achieving that this time. On Sunday, the, they went back as visitors for the service. Giving out the notices, the church secretary gleefully announced that they had raised, and remember this was the 1980s, that they had raised not 300 pounds, but 500 pounds. However, after a lot of thought and prayer, they had decided to send it all to the Christian Aid Ethiopian Famine Appeal. Their need, she said, was so much greater than ours. Well, that story actually touched me greatly. First, I think it, it highlighted my own inadequacies. We've always allocated a sort of tithe to church and charity giving. And we'd already sent a check uh, to, to Christian Aid for that Ethiopian appeal. But somehow, in contrast to the generosity of the pensioners and unemployed of inner city Sheffield, that paled into insignificance. Secondly, it brought home vividly um, the paradox of the consumer society, the, the deep division between the haves and the have-nots. 
Then, as now, the TV news bulletins were full of natural catastrophe and violent conflict, all too often uh, about religion. But such bulletins were pu punctuated by adverts for glossy consumer goods, exotic food and drink, and holidays in delectable places. Thirdly, it brought home to me a basic truth of the gospel. God requires of us what he demanded of Jesus, the sacrificial giving of ourselves. Remember Micah's challenge, which was read to us from Micah? Does God want bowing and scraping, offerings of calves or rams or barrels of oil? Does he want us to sacrifice even our own children to appease him for our sins and shortcomings? God has told you what is good. What is it that the Lord asks of you? Only to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, there's always been controversy about the role of the church in politics, in public life. Justin Welby, like all his predecessors going back many years, I can recall, comes in for a good deal of stick on this account. The problem is that if Christians say nothing about the ethical issues of the day and stick to pious ecclesiastical matters, they're accused at best of being irrelevant, at worst of being lackeys of the state. The leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church were in a huddle discussing vestments, clerical clothing, whilst world-shattering revolution was being planned just round the corner a century or so ago. On the other hand, when Christians do speak out to the concerns of the contemporary world, those who don't like the message very soon tell us to get back to our prayers. Remember Malcolm Muggeridge saying that? The real tragedy is that I think few ever actually listen to what's being said. And I get the feeling more and more this is the tragedy of our nation, our, our world today. Nobody is really listening to anyone else. Everyone seems to start from prepared and sometimes extreme positions. Confrontations and conflicts seem the only way, whether it's Trump and Kim Jong-il, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, I think it is, whether it's Govia Thameslink and the RMT Union, whether it's died-in-the-world Brexiteers, or unrecalcitrant 
Remainers. The strongest, the loudest voice, the most muscle is going to win. And the devil take the hindmost, the weak, the powerless, and the poor. Now, I am totally opposed to violent solutions, whether it be on the picket line, the protest march, or wherever. And yet, when confronted with so many whose, whose real income seems to go down every year, and whose prospect of ever getting a home of their own diminishes week by week, and who feel faced by politicians and big businesses that never seem to listen to them at all, I'm honestly surprised that there isn't a good deal more violence in our big cities. And uh, I think President Macron in France has faced just this problem with the, the gilet jaune, the yellow gilet. I fear if we go on polarizing our society, the anger and frustration which we already see and the reaction of some radical Muslims may boil over in a wider cross-section of our urban population. So what is the role of the Christian, of the, of the church, of the minister, the church member? The temptation, of course, is to keep our heads down, to say our prayers, to piously offer our sacrifices, as Micah put it, and leave it at that. But as the prophet made clear, that is not what the Lord requires of us. Okay. What do we need to do then? First, we have to discern and then apply the truth in the light of the gospel to the issues facing us and our society. Now, this isn't just a proof text exercise. It means really seeking the revelation of God's message for his people and his world. It means scrupulously setting aside personal self-interest and built-in party preference. And I don't think any of us find that very easy. At times, we shall make ourselves unpopular and find ourselves with some very strange bedfellows. And yet, those who have achieved things for the kingdom have often suffered abuse and vilification. We cannot expect to follow the way of the Savior if we are not willing to suffer some of the pain of the cross. Our judgments must be by the criteria of the gospel. 
But secondly, as Paul puts it so clearly, the gospel is essentially a message of reconciliation. It's a message entrusted to us, he tells us. And so our desperate plea to politicians and trade unions, to big business and to protesting minority is, for God's sake, listen. Listen to each other. Listen to the multitudes who suffer in silence because of intransigence. To bring reconciliation between individuals and individuals, between groups and groups, between nations and nations is time-consuming, costly, and thankless. And often we shall fail, but it is our vocation, our God-given task, and we must persevere. Thirdly and finally, though, we need to unpack this concept of reconciliation. Now, I remember once, as a very young minister, uh, preaching on this text about seeking peace in family squabbles and between factions within communities. And afterwards, a wise elderly member of the congregation took me on one side and quietly reminded me that the first reconciliation is that between indi the individual man or woman and God. He has reconciled us men to himself through Christ and he has enlisted us in this service of reconciliation. Troubles between husband and wife, between black and white, between union and management, between government and the man in the street arise from human sin. We are essentially selfish, out for ourselves. That was brought home to me so graphically at, uh, in the story of that little church in downtown Sheffield. We don't listen. As the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr put it, mission is to enable people to be reconciled to God and to each other. In the end of the day, it is only changed lives that's going to bring peace and hope and joy to a divided nation and a divided world. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And it's only as we are faithful to that calling that the selfishness of humankind will give way to a new relationship with God. And in turn, reconciliation between his people. The church... The individual Christian has an indisputable call to seek and to proclaim the truth in any conflict and to work for the reconciliation of the parties. But above all else, we are called to lead God's people into a new relationship with him.
through Jesus Christ. So let me close by reminding you of Paul's words. His purpose in dying for all was that all of us, while still in life, should cease to live for ourselves and should live for him who for their sakes died and was raised to life. When anyone is united to Christ, they're a new creature. The old life is over. A new life has begun. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.